Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, clever friends. If you'll be in New York City this month for Design Week, I want you to come to the Emerging Designer Showcase. It's at the Javits Center during ICFF on the main stage, Sunday, May 19th at 4 p.m. Think of it kind of like lightning round mini critiques plus professional speed dating all rolled into one. And it's genuinely entertaining. Here's how it works. On stage, five rising design talents will each present their work to a group of illustrious industry professionals for real talk advice and critical feedback. And for better or worse, this all happens in front of a live audience. We've hand-selected a phenomenal group of designers for this year's show, and we have a star-studded lineup of very discerning industry pros who will be up there with them. The Emerging Designer Showcase is presented with media partners Clever, that's us, and Design Milk, and with support from American Standard and Lumens. Again, that's Sunday, May 19th at 4 p.m. at ICFF at the Javits Center. You can register to attend for free at ICFF.com with our special promo code D-A-P-M-C-L-E-V-E-R. See you there. Eventually, I just became enamored with this whole idea of looking at an object, but also understanding how that how does that object deliver the light and how does it make people feel how can it be used in so many different ways so that you know we could find many different kinds of applications for for the light hi everyone i'm jamie derringer i'm amy devers and this is clever and today we're talking to industrial designer pablo pardo if you've ever shopped for lamps lighting or spent time on the internet seeking inspiration for lighting you've come across pablo's designs And you've probably bookmarked them, bought them, or pinned them. They're beautifully harmonious in their functionality, technology, form, and materiality. Pablo was born in Venezuela and studied industrial design at University of Cincinnati. After stints in automotive and toy design, he founded his San Francisco-based lighting design studio, Pablo Designs, in 1993. The conversation revealed quite a bit about his background and inspiration. Fun fact... He's one of three industrial designers in his family. Just a quick note before we begin that Paolo runs his design business in an industrial area, so you might hear some fun city noises in the background. Mm-hmm. Let's talk to Pablo. My name is Pablo Pardo, and I am founder and principal of Pablo Designs. We're actually based here in San Francisco. 
I am a lighting designer with training in industrial design, and I am passionate about uh, lighting. And really, my focus is on creating, you know, lighting designs that aspire to elevate the relationship that we have with light. The question of why I do this is simply because, uh, you know, it makes me ponder that, you know, due to my training, I've always been with a mission to design for people. And I think that as long as it serves a purpose and can add value uh, to the world, that's really what I'm interested in. It's important to note that, you know, we live in a world that has way too many things already. It's rather a difficult exercise to look around us and see where we can really make a difference. And it's very important to me that design is there to bring joy, beauty, and provide solutions for people. Well, we're glad that you're um, you're aiming your superpowers towards good, not evil. Absolutely, <laughs> that's <clears throat> that's my mission. We always like to start at the very beginning. Can you tell us about the first chapter of your life? We understand you were born in Venezuela. So, what was your hometown like? Your family dynamic? What kind of a kid were you? You know, every time I'm asked that question, I always have to pause and say it's it's kind of a rather long story. But, you know, indeed, I was born in Venezuela, but I was uh, immediately plucked away with the family to also go live in Chile for my first Ah. seven years, following my father's job. Uh, He was a civil engineer, but he was also, interestingly enough, a classically trained guitarist uh, at Juilliard for two years. Wow. So, you know. He was head of a he was head of a large multinational company sent down to Chile to essentially, you know, found that business, and launch that business down there. And we followed the whole family followed. Chile, just to give you a little bit of a background on Chile, so my first seven years were really full of just fond memories. Uh, it was a wonderful experience. We essentially just had all the independence in the world. Uh, I have four other Mm -hmm. siblings, two brothers and two sisters, and it was just a great way to grow up, you know, in other countries. Yeah. Uh, I was soon to, um, after the seven years, we actually moved to the States, and that was the first time, you know, that I moved to the States at the age of seven, and we moved to Ohio. So, you know, imagine, you know, Venezuela, Chile, and then Ohio. (laughs) Uh, a lot of people ask, well, <laughs> how is that culturally for you? Well, I was only seven, mm. so I was still a sponge taking it all in. And, uh, you know, just very fond memories overall. So your dad sounds like um, a very even balance between right brain and left brain type of mentality. That must be where you get your creativity and your technological adeptness as well. Yes. I love to tell that story because um, three of his five children became industrial designers. And what? yeah, it's, it's unusual. <laughs> um, and the fact is my father worked during the day as a civil engineer and he would come home and play classical guitar for three hours every single night. So we, we really grew up with this, you know, wonderful sort of balanced life of, you know, having a, a wonderful gentleman at, who was mentoring us. And we did definitely get a lot from him on, you know, curiosity. And were you life. a close-knit family with all your siblings? And what was your mom like? 
Oh, yeah. Well, my mother was, you know, like a traditional housewife. Of course, we're, you know, we're a Spanish family. Mm -hmm. And so that was fairly traditional. Of course, my father really was probably the most and had the most impact on on us as a setting just, you know, great sort of goals for us and there's a lot more things I want to say, so you can continue asking. Well, I mean, I'm just thinking about moving a, a family <laughs> of five kids from a country of origin to another country for seven years and then yeah. to the United States, keeping the dynamic healthy while managing all those transitions for all those young kids, that's quite a family endeavor. And it sounds like you guys handled it pretty with a lot of finesse. And so I'm just wondering what that looks like. Yeah, well, looking back on it, I mean, he's my hero because uh, if I was put in the same position, I would wonder if I would be able to have pulled it off with such grace. He had a number of hobbies throughout his lifetime. One of the hobbies that, uh, you know, really kind of got us into the whole creative space was that he was a lover of remote control airplanes. So ah. we were around uh, him all the time in his workshop, literally helping him build up to 30 planes, you know, and we were five, six, seven. And of course, he continued on with that hobby uh, after we moved to Ohio. But I think that's really where we started to begin to have the sense of curiosity about the making of things, being exposed to my father's workshop, which had tools all over the place. And so understanding what tool does what. And, uh, you know, so we got this at a very early age. That's so exciting because that's also really good bonding time with both your, you know, your siblings and your parents to be able to dive into your curiosity like that and be on such a learning curve. It's not school. It's something that's being taught to you by your parents. So it has yeah. this kind of family depth to it. Well, did I mention that I'm a, an identical twin? No, no. That's right. Yes. <laughs> Talk to us about that. Yeah. So I look at being a twin as, you know, a blessing, truthfully. So you can imagine sort of growing up with a twin, you're already sort of getting involved on little projects very early on. We had just a great companionship between us and we just had a lot of independence of course, it was later that we would decide to become designers when we were, you know, in more adults. But early on, we had this automatic synergy going that whatever he was thinking, I was probably thinking the same thing. So he would start a sentence and essentially I would end it and vice versa. So to imagine yourself growing up becoming designers, both of us, uh, it was just very comforting to know that you know, as we delved into projects together, that we had a sounding board. And that sounding board thought like me, looked like me, would probably approach things the same way that I would. So it was essentially comforting to have that relationship with my, my twin brother. Walk us through adolescence. Were you guys both curious in the same things? Was your creativity starting to show up in the same ways? Well, absolutely. I mean, both my sisters were in the arts. And of course, my sister, my second older sister became an industrial designer when we came back to Ohio. And, you know, we were exposed to that, to that field uh, through her. Otherwise, we probably would have become architects. Uh, you know, we were definitely interested in the arts, but architecture was the first thing we thought about until my sister discovered 
industrial design. How did she discover it? Do you know? Did she stumble into it? Because we've heard that story from so many she, people. She definitely stumbled into it. You know, she went to the University of Cincinnati, which was that became our alma mater later. She's probably four years ahead of us. When she started, she didn't really know. She was going into the arts of some kind, but uh, she stumbled into industrial design. Uh, mm. Somebody thought that she had great drawing skills and that she was very good at ideas and putting sort of concepts together. And somebody suggested, have you tried industrial design? So that's what she ended up studying. And of course, having her around for those four years mentored us to and exposed us to this field, which you know eventually became my passion. And how did you discover that passion? Had you been in high school, like drawing things or taking yeah. things apart or looking at things differently? Like how did it manifest for you personally? Well, I loved drawing. I loved art uh, from my first days, ever since I was very young. And, you know, having sort of that training of making things uh, very early on. Interesting story. We were sitting at the dinner table and uh, we were probably 15, 16, and my father asked, my brother and I, have you guys decided what you want to study in college? And, you know, by that time, we kind of had a really good idea. It was either going to be architecture or industrial design. But it turns out that both my brother, Fernando, and I responded exactly the same time. And each of us said, industrial design. <laughs> and so we looked at each other and... It was almost an argument because imagine being a, an identical twin um, mm. for such a long time, and we were always quite competitive in some ways. So this was our opportunity for him to take a, a different occupation as myself to finally find a differentiation, a differentiation between us. And the fact that we both said industrial design and we were both arguing about, well, maybe you should go into architecture. I'll go into industrial design. <laughs> and my father essentially put his fist down. And he said, I think you're both going to go into what you want to do. So it sounds to me like you're both going into industrial design. And looking back on it, it was the best decision we ever made because we became even better friends. And I still you know, talk to him very regularly about what I'm working on and what he's working on. You know, it feels really good. I love that your dad said, nonsense, you both are going to do what you're meant to do. And it yes. sounds like it's industrial design. And you had and to then, listen to what dad said. Well, sure. <laughs> right. But I also respect that you guys were trying to find your individual identities just so that we know, like, where where's your brother now and what's he doing? So Fernando has got a great position at a company called Design Works in Los Angeles. So okay. it's actually owned by BMW. So, you know, my brother has been uh, working on some automotive design for BMW, but they also do a lot of product design for a lot of different companies. Yeah, you found your way to differentiate. Um, we did. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, industrial design's a broad category. It There's is. lots of different possible outcomes for studying that, you know. I think the underlying difference of our choices was that, you know, he's working for a company. And he's responsible for many different projects for different people. And I started my own business. Um, and mm -hmm. that's given me sort of a lot of, we, we have a very different perspective on that. You know, he's very happy doing what he's doing, but I just don't think he could run a company. <laughs> and, I, and I don't say that, I don't say that in a, in a derogatory way. I think he's wonderful doing what he's doing. But it does take a certain ambition to be able to go into the field of design 
but also become a manufacturer and a marketeer mm -hmm. and wearing all those hats. Uh, so I think it's formed me into a, a, a quite a, a broader minded person in good ways and bad, but all in all in good ways. <laughs> yeah. W was there anybody in your family who had studied business or been an entrepreneur that you would have gotten that initiative no. from? Um, I, I think mm. it was really my father's drive that sort of catapulted me. You know, I am the youngest. My brother's three minutes older than I am. So, you know, traditionally younger people, the youngest in the family, that's the one that gets through with probably the most ambition because they're probably uh, the family looks looks at the youngest as okay you, you probably have a world of possibilities you can do whatever you want because we've already gone through all the other kids and we're going to like let you be yourself and do whatever whatever you want to do so it gave <laughs> me the confidence i think so you graduated in 86 yeah. um and then founded your studio pablo designs in 1993 can you Give us a sense of what happened between graduating and starting your studio. Sure. My sister was, at that time, uh, living in Los Angeles, and so was my brother. Um, he started working at Design Works literally first day from college. Oh, wow. Yeah. The first thing I did was go and work with my brother at Design Works. So I actually did some automotive design for about two years. And then after that, I went to work with my sister. And it turns out that my sister has been working with the inventor of the game of life. You guys ever heard of that game? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. The number two board game in the world. So this gentleman today is 96. My sister has been working with uh, Ruben Klamer for over 35 years. So, wow. Yeah. And so, you know, when I went to work with her and with Ruben, designing toys, creating toys for a number of different companies like Milton Bradley, any number of, of, of companies that were in a toy business. So my exposure to that experience was that, you know, they were in the licensing business. And so they would create and invent designs that would then be licensed to these large companies. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's where I realized that, wow, that is a business. Uh, in and of itself. And so it built a level of confidence in me to be able to go out and sell myself uh, just because that's what they were doing. Mm. And so that's what happened, um, you know, right out of school. I did some design work with Yamaha, uh, designing motorcycles. And I also worked with other product design firms before I made, made it back up to San Francisco in 1993. So industrial design in school, and then you designed for the automotive industry yeah. and then toys for the for the toy industry so yeah. you have a pretty wide stretch of product design like <laughs> you're right you know i think industrial designers in general are exposed to a number of different categories and going back to my schooling the reason why i really liked automotive design is because i did internships at chrysler you know, before i moved to los angeles uh, i had an offer from chrysler that was to go live in Michigan. And mm -hmm. I didn't think I wanted to go live in Michigan and, and be able to sort of withstand the winters there. And so it felt like the right thing to just go out to the warm country, be closer to my family. From Los Angeles to San Francisco and starting your own firm, yeah. what was the impetus there? You know, the, it's a good story because I really did not know 
exactly what I wanted to do. I know that San Francisco is calling me because I had done the Southern California thing. I knew a, di- a lot of different firms up in San Francisco area. I knew some friends that worked at IDO. I interviewed at Frog. And there was you know, a lot of options to move up north. So you know, when I moved there, the economy was not in good shape. The whole idea of starting a business didn't really uh, happen until you know, I moved in 1990 uh, mm. to San Francisco. And then I worked at IDEO for two years. Then I started to work on some side projects. And that's really when I started to sort of like started to make things again. And um, I started working, I hooked up with a furniture studio here that I shared space with. Uh, it turns out that uh, this was somebody who I knew from Venezuela, literally 25 years earlier. And wow. he happened to be living in the area and they needed a little bit of help. And I went to work with them, but I also had my own little office. I had a little corner studio right up in their office. And that's when I started working on my own thing as well. I started working on this little lamp concept that started to become something. This was the the beginning of my company. I developed a a lamp called Picola, which is a a leather-based lamp that has an aluminum shade. And as you tilt the lamp in one direction or the other, the shade simply just balances on top of this sort of tubular-shaped bulb. And I can't tell you, if I look back on my career, I have to look at this particular moment in my entire career at, with, with my company as it was literally the footing. And it built this incredible confidence for me that this little lamp, I took it to ICFS. I came back with orders for about 600 pieces. Whoa. Wow. I'll be honest, I, I wasn't prepared at that time to even think about starting a business. I thought that I was going to go there and I was going to get tapped by maybe a couple of companies and I would perhaps license the design to them and we would go from there. What ended up happening was I came back and I started getting calls and where's our where's our lamps that we ordered? So I was you know, in a position to have to make this first round of about 600 lamps. And that's what I did. I delivered them. And then I get a call from Spinnyback. Uh, Spinnyback is a leather products company owned by Knoll. And they had the president of the company call me. And he basically said, we love this piece that you designed, uh, that we, we saw it at ICFF. And we'd like to know if you'd be interested in licensing it to us. This would be a perfect product for us to promote all of our leather goods. And um, I don't know if you remember, uh, Spinning Back used to have a, a baseball that they would promote all their beautiful leathers. I mean, it's a very high-end mm-hmm. leather products company. And so they said that your lamp would be, would, would be a perfect opportunity for us to put these lamps out there in a thousand different colors. So you can imagine, I was 28 years old. I get a call from the president of Spinnyback. Wow. And he flies out the next day. Oh, my God. And we signed a deal. And so literally the beginning of Pablo Designs was really a, a licensing to Spinnyback of this very first new product. And they took over manufacturing for the first two years. And here's what happened. So I started designing several other designs for them because that was what felt like the right thing to do. 
So I had a number of other designs that I was working on, and they weren't designs that they were that interested in. They were just interested in that, you know, the leather lamp only. And so um, I started creating other products, including uh, home accessories. So I didn't just start with lighting. I also moved into home accessories. I was doing everything from waste paper baskets that some of them are now in the Museum of Modern Art in, in San Francisco. The Picola actually was also brought into the permanent collection at the SF MoMA. And, you know, it was just a great start. After two years, I, I actually literally asked Spinny back, can I have my product back? So I, I, I want to take my baby back. And they, they let it go uh, back to me. It was really that design, I think, that set everything in motion. So you obviously got a big break with that deal, but then you also, it sounds like you went through designing home accessories. Right. And now you focus specifically on lighting. Absolutely. So what were those challenges and, and lessons in the early days of your studio that made you want to focus on lighting? So what ended up happening was I had a number of different product types out there it became really difficult to manage all these categories because I felt like, okay, I have to do a new lamp. Uh, then I have to do other types of home accessories. And it started to take my focus away from, you know, this very important category, which is lighting. And I realized that, you know what, this is really hard. Lighting is really hard. I, I really need to put my attention there. And that's really what my customers were looking for. They were looking for more lighting for me. So that's what drove me to, you know, doing more lighting. And eventually I moved away from the, from the home accessories space to just focus on lighting. Was that where your interest was pulling you as well? Or did it just make business sense? No, absolutely. You know, lighting was this magical space because, you know, it's, it's a medium that isn't just about the object, but it's about the light. Eventually, I just became enamored with this whole idea of looking at an object, but also understanding how, that, how does that object deliver the light and how does it make people feel? How can it be used in so many different ways so that you know, we could find many different kinds of applications for, for the light? And that's how I started to sort of broaden my perception of what I could do with light. And the object itself is, is an important component but eventually, you, you know, you realize that what I'm really creating is a vessel. And, you know, this is a vessel that delivers light. When you start to look at it from this perspective, mm -hmm. uh, you realize that you have to be very responsible for, you know, every aspect, not just the creating of this object, but how does it deliver the light and how does it make people feel? So it became very apparent to me that I was definitely moving in the right direction. So, okay. So I want to talk yeah. about that, that movement in that direction. We're definitely going to pull apart your creative process, but yeah. in terms of the studio and growing the business and focusing on lighting and recognizing your own deep passion with light and how it goes out mm. into the world, you've built a nice studio there. You're, you're doing good business and you've, you're maximizing technology, I think right. in really harmonious ways. Right. Where would you say you have to grow? Like, what is your growth edge? Yeah, you know, um, that's a good question. Lighting, first of all, lighting technology has progressed. I, I've been fortunate enough to have been through the transition period between incandescent and LEDs. 
And oh, so, yes. I want to talk about yeah. that because that is like a revolution. Yeah, I mean, that is such absolutely. an exciting period in lighting design. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely a revolution. Every time it's when I, I sit down and, and, you know, with my team and we're thinking about what we want to do next. First of all, there's so much lighting out there in, in, in the space already. And what really drives us is, is sort of bringing in a variety of elements together that probably haven't been put together in that same way before. So what I see happening, and I think what our edge is, is that we're, we're now you know, reimagining ways of blurring categories. We're bringing in a light and combining that with you know, perhaps charging features so that you know, we're working now with mobile devices and so you can combine a lamp with charging. We're now working with sound. You know, three years ago, we developed a lantern concept that combines light and sound. So it's a Bluetooth speaker combined with light. We're working now on another project that combines light, charging, and privacy screen. Um, this is a lamp mm. called Corner Office that we developed with Peter Stathis that provides, you know, a personal space in the workplace, you know, combining these three categories together. So I think this is our opportunity space. It's where, you know, now it's possible to bring multiple categories together with light. And we really feel strongly that that's the opportunity for us right now. Well, that is very exciting. And, you know, um, utility is such an important uh, aspect of what we do. We're often asked, are you a stylist or are you, a, you know, are you driven by utility? And the fact is, we're really driven by utility, uh, first and foremost. You know, you, you create a design, it has to be useful. And people are purchasing a light because they, they need it to be useful. Of course, it needs to be beautiful, but I want to add more value if I can. Yeah, I think it's very evident in your products that you're very focused on function first, yeah. but also, I mean, the form, there's nothing lost in the form. Your forms are incredibly beautiful. And I feel like there must be a creative process there that gets you to this very minimalist yeah. uh, form that really helps the light come through in the ways that it needs to, like you said, like a vessel. Can you describe that creative process for us? Like, do you do the same thing every time or, you know, how does it start? Where does it go from there? Sure. For us, it's definitely not a linear process. Uh, it happens in a number of ways. We often sit down with the team, come up with a project brief. We approach our project very methodically, outlining, you know, perhaps opportunities for adding value to our own assortment, but also with the goal of creating a more well-rounded offering as a whole, right? So the brand, you know, we want to introduce new products that complement each other and that we, we see, you know, opportunities for us to move into a, perhaps a different space. We look at the market, uh, of course, um, that's part of what we do. You know, in my schooling back in Cincinnati, part of what we were required to do is research the market and understand, you know, what is out there and so that you can gather knowledge and information uh, so that you can either, you know, learn from that and build on it and or where to steer away from. There are also moments that I can't explain, but I might be sitting in a car daydreaming or catch a glimpse of an interesting object or material or form or shape that may get my mind racing uh, mm -hmm. to see if I can't jumpstart something new with that inspiration. 
So I, I love this whole idea of not having a fixed way of doing things. I, I, I like the dream. I love the element of surprise. I love the randomness of starting with a clean canvas, letting nature or perhaps fate somehow take me down a journey, which I'm not in, uh, mm. totally in control of. Yeah. Uh, for, for, for me, and you know, I think for us, this is when opportunity happens. So the ideation component takes many forms from, from mm-hmm. napkin sketches, moving to quick models and foam core, metal, glass, anything we can get our hands on to begin sort of building a, three, a three-dimensional interpretation of what's in my mind's eye. How do you introduce light in the modeling stage? We've got plenty to tap into from our other light sources that we have here. Mm-hmm. So we're, we may use like LEDs from a previous product. Okay. That we and just start, sort of m- yes, mock it up on a smaller just scale. Just it up, to... exactly. Okay. And, you know, LEDs these days come so compact, you can hide them in any number of different configurations. So mm-hmm. that's, that's the, you know, a, a great sort of advantage of LEDs is, you know, you can compress them and the form factors are essentially... It can be any form factor these days because the lighting is so small with, with LEDs these days. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Clever is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. A recent episode took Brad to Venice, where he connected with Eve Ubelman, a partner whose company, Econem, has developed a game-changing technique for creating digital architectural models so comprehensive they've been dubbed twins. During the relative quiet of the pandemic, Eve and his team used drone-captured photography and powerful AI to create a full-scale digital twin of Venice, a city threatened by climate change and over-tourism. On Tools and Weapons, Eve tells Brad how he's using this incredible technology to help preserve some of the world's most endangered cultural heritage sites in pristine detail so they can be studied and appreciated for generations to come. To stay current on some of the most innovative people working with AI today, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Clever listeners, we're getting excited for New York Design Week in May. This year will be better than ever. ICFF, North America's leading platform for contemporary design, 
will take place from May 19th to the 21st at the Javits Center in New York City. I'll be there, and I'm excited to let you know how Clever is collaborating with ICFF for Launchpad at Wanted, formerly known as Wanted Design Manhattan, and the Emerging Designer Showcase. Launchpad is an international platform for emerging designers that introduces new concepts and showcases prototypes of furniture, home accessories, and lighting. It is the best place for manufacturers to meet new designers, discover fresh ideas, and potential products to develop. The best of Launchpad winners will be selected by a jury of renowned industry professionals, led by yours truly. And they will go on to be featured in another edition of the popular Emerging Designers Showcase. I'll be leading the Emerging Designers Showcase live on the talk's main stage, where the five Launchpad finalists will have a chance to present their projects to our esteemed panel of professionals. It's always a really good time. So mark your calendars for Sunday, May 19th at 4 p.m. Both Launchpad and the Emerging Designer Showcase are presented with media partners Clever, that's us, and Design Milk, and with support from American Standard and Lumens. Visit icff.com to learn more and register to attend. Those are the letters icff.com. Come by and say hi. I would love to see you there. Support for Clever comes from Wix Studio. Instead of reading you another, let's be honest, boring ad script, Wix Studio just sent me this wild-looking Alice in Wonderland-themed website to scroll through and tell you about. So, whoa. This is not the web I'm used to. There's something called Mouse Parallax, which makes it feel like you can go deeper into the screen. And as I scroll down, it's like I'm falling down the rabbit hole. And things are moving in depth and perspective. Even my cursor has morphed into a glowing little orb. There are all these no-code animations that make this place feel organic and alive. And Alice is wearing some pretty cool shoes, by the way. Okay, I know I'm mixing up my narratives now, but we are definitely not in Kansas anymore. Your turn to go down the rabbit hole. Build your next web project on Wix Studio, the platform for agencies and enterprises. As an industrial designer who's done a bunch of different products, but who's focused on light, when things started shifting from incandescent to LED, your world must have, your head must have exploded because now your options, now you can really paint in any media you want to with LEDs. I mean, you were so trapped by incandescent, or at least that's how it looks to me. Can you describe what that was like for you creatively? Absolutely. So, I, you know, I feel utterly fortunate to have lived and worked at the cusp of the transition from incandescent, which I call analog. So incandescent yeah. <laughs> for me is analog, to the LED digital space. This allowed me to witness and understand the value proposition of each light type. You know, this allowed me to just really understand the differences between them. My very first LED product was in 2007 launched in 2007 with Brazo, but I started working with LEDs as early as 2004. It took three years for wow. us to feel comfortable enough to put a new product out there that was bright enough and that was going to be acceptable for people. Believe me, I was quite scared because we really didn't know very much about electronics. I had to bring engineer or two in to help us sort of get that 
started. You know, it's chip on board technology. I was never trained mm-hmm. as an electronic engineer. So mm-hmm. there was mm-hmm. a huge learning curve. I, I want to get back to, you know, sort of that cusp period because, you know, I'll be honest with you, I'm still a complete follower of the incandescent type of light sources. I have to say I, I like incandescent lighting more than LED, but LEDs, there's been so many advances that are now available at our fingertips and technologies around LEDs that it is no question the technology of the future. What's happening now as LED technology advances, it's becoming more, it's emulating the warm and analog light of incandescence. So it's moving mm-hmm. back to that sort of more human space again. And I'm really happy yes. to hear that. And I'm really happy to be participating in that. And I appreciate that you appreciate that as well, because that's the thing I miss the most about incandescence is that warm yeah. sort of amber yellow glow that makes it just it's cozy. Um, the blueness mm-hmm. of LEDs is not as warm, obviously. And I know there's a lot of energy being put towards the light quality and the color temperature of LEDs to kind of make them do what we want them to do. And you have options there as well. So we've already passed, surpassed the blue zone probably mm-hmm. five years ago. Today, LEDs can literally duplicate incandescent lighting. So we are there. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's finally at, in the space that when you dim an LED fixture, it can also change color. So that's what incandescent does. When you actually dim an incandescent, it goes from sort of a, a brighter white zone to a very amber glow. With LEDs, you could not do that before, but you can today. So I'm very happy that this is happening. That technology is called warm dim, which we're starting to use in a lot, in a lot of our fixtures. Talking about the way that light makes you feel, like Amy mentioned, yeah. the traditional incandescent light just felt warmer. And it's it's nice to know that the LEDs are also there at this point. But your products are designed to, as you say, deepen the relationship between the object, the user, and the environment. How do you do that with light? Well, first of all, it's the combination of all the elements uh, that formulate that light. So, you know, deepening the relationship is also, you know, bringing in materials uh, that are premium, that feel honest, bringing in natural materials like woods and, you know, beautiful chromated metals and fabrics. So on the material side, materials have to be appropriate for the use, depending on where they're going to be used and so forth. How you elevate the light source itself is that over time it has to has to mimic natural light as much as possible. So natural light is transformational light. We have an ability now to create designs that throughout the day they can change in color temperature because our natural light actually changes from blue light to orange light in the evenings. And our fixtures should be able to do the same. And what's also interesting is that our design, you know, our light source can also be essentially responding to the natural light that's already out, you know, outside the window. And it can read how much light is, you know, the natural light is putting out and how much light the light source is putting out. And it will reduce the amount of light on, on the desktop because you already have enough light coming from the outside. 
So that's a way to sort of reduce the amount of energy running through the light source. More and more these days, we work with a lot of you know, contract office projects, and there's quite a demand for light sources that can run less energy through the system. So, of course, LEDs, they're 90% more efficient than a standard incandescent. So nobody's, nobody's buying anything but LEDs mm-hmm. in the contract office space. And there's just this great opportunity to add value to this system by having the fixture be more responsive to our needs. When you walk into the room, for example, the light turns on. When you walk out of the room, it turns off. You can control the light sources now with LED. You can control them remotely. So that, you know, you may have a mobile phone and you have an entire studio. You can control all your lighting from one device. So there's something much more convenient about that. You're able to control environments like you've never been able to before with light. Yes, I want to put a vote in, though, for I really like the relationship I develop with my fixtures over time. I really like a hand on a switch. I love dialing a dimmer up and down. That's an analog relationship. I know the more that we control everything through our phones, the more our actions that our hands get to interact with are just swiping and touching that same surface. So that's one of the things that I really love about your products as well, the materiality that you talked about earlier. In the case where it is an actual hand on a switch, you put a lot of time and attention into making that action feel really intuitive and feel really sensual and very luxurious. But the intuitive part is really what speaks to how you incorporate the functionality in a super harmonious way with the form. The holy grail really is how do I build a relationship with this object and and the the human that's interacting Mm -hmm. with it? so that it becomes seamless. Um, it, mm. It's essential. It is a relationship. I completely agree with you that, you know, most of the objects that we create here are interactive. There's a kinetic quality to them. So it's not just about turning the switch on and off, but it's about the mm-hmm. movement, the flexibility, the articulation, the ability to, to position the light just where you need it, and also being able to fold it away for perhaps when you don't need it. That really excites me. And I think that for as long as I'm designing lamps, uh, there's always going to be this element of direct interactivity with the object. Yeah. And you can tell that relationship, that that excitement that you have comes through in the products. And as a user, it is very nice to be able to work with a lamp in a way that, like, makes the light do what you need it to do in a a really fluid way. Yeah, I agree. I like that tactile analog experience of of some things i certainly like controlling other things on my phone (laughs) yeah it depends on what it is i guess believe me i am yeah not a proponent of having control a remote control uh unless of course it makes sense you know if you have a large space and you walk into your home for example i think the future home you're going to be able to walk in and the lights will turn on maybe they'll you know, remember their settings when you walk out of those rooms, uh, the lights turn off. So there's, there, there is a quality to that experience that is, that is there, that is, you know, it's a passive relationship. And, but I, I feel that, that both are important. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. It depends on the situation. And as a designer, it's your job to stay as in touch with all the different ways that people are interacting with their yeah, light exactly. sources. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think in commercial environments, it's it's really important to have things much more automated because you have so many different people coming in and out of spaces. So from an energy efficiency standpoint, I think that's a fantastic option. Exactly, and I think that's the, the driving factor is the energy consumption and also, you know, light pollution, for example. Um, if you mm. don't need to have light in areas that aren't being used, best to have them turned off. So I, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk to you about you and not about your lighting or your company. So you, you do a lot of really beautiful designs. You run a company. That's a lot of stuff. So how do you refuel creatively, but also just recharge in general? I spend a lot of time by myself. Are you an introvert? No, I'm not. Um, but I oh. really do find great solace in spending time with myself. You know, I do yoga. I love to travel. I am a film buff. Um, those are a lot of extracurricular activities that I really enjoy doing. Just finding that space within myself to not think about anything else. Believe me, I'm constantly thinking about design. Um, <laughs> I was going to ask you, like, does it ever shut off? <laughs> no, but, but I don't mind. And I don't call that work. I, I call that meditation for me. I, I imagine right. ideas in my head. People have literally seen me driving a car, sitting at a stoplight, and I'm literally gesturing a shape with my hands in front of me. <laughs> I think why I'm doing that is to actually be able to sort of see it, imagine the scale by just gesturing it with my fingers. It's just something I love to do. I feel that, that that's really when, when I am happiest is when I'm creating. But at the same time, you know, I, I love to travel and travel gives me great perspective too. I'm running a business here in San Francisco and believe me, I love to go away for a while. And when I leave, my mind just starts churning and ideas start flowing and it's just a, unusually surprising to me that it happens all the time when I travel this is when the ideas come to me <laughs> so isn't that interesting it's like you have another faucet you can turn on that's so nice that you have the awareness that that's what happens when you travel and that you can sort of con control this other spigot of creativity that happens yeah. for you Absolutely. And also, you know, you're exposed to the world at that point. You're outside of this vacuum that we, you know, that you can find yourself in, in the same kind of space every day. When you go out into the world, there's so much more stimulus out there that uh, feeds that, you know, all the energy s signals that are going through our minds. I really enjoy that process. You know, my fiance and I take long walks. You know, we walk miles and miles over the weekend. And we go hiking and, you know, being out in nature, I, I would say is just paramount for me. Um, when you see what nature... You've got a lot of great nature right yeah, there in San Francisco. Yeah. But nature, you know, I look at nature and I, and I see that, look at the creationism that's there. It's all designed mm -hmm. in a way for survival. It's all designed for a purpose. It's there for a reason. And it's all this harmonic relationship and interactive relationship that's happening in nature. And how do I sort of learn from that and bring that in? Well, speaking of harmonic relationships, you mentioned mm -hmm. 
fiance, which means you're getting married. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> yes, I am very uh, happy about that. I, I have a wonderful lady in my life who's an architect. Oh. So that was a very good space for me because, you know, she thinks about design, but on a different scale. She's probably not mm -hmm. as technical as I am, but that's good because I can throw ideas her way and she's, she's able to sort of see them for what they are and not delving too deeply into the technical side. Mm -hmm. So it keeps me, you know, it keeps me on my toes. <laughs> she's a great critic. Oh, good. And you <laughs> probably can both relate to the right brain and left brain sides of each other because you absolutely. both have that. That's nice. No, Absolutely. So what about things that keep you up at night? You know, we talked about the mm. creativity and how you get refreshed and the things you love, but are there things that just bug you or are challenging for you? I'll be honest, all the time. <laughs> Good. Um, Thank you. That's refreshing. I'm, I'm constantly in, in an ebb and flow. You know, this is the natural state. Uh, if I wasn't worried, I'd be worried. So right. I, I worry constantly. Uh, about my work, but, you know, in a good way, whether what I'm working on at the moment is good enough or how can I uh, improve it? How can I refine it? Perhaps eliminate it mm -hmm. completely. Yeah, my most, most joyful time is, is really being alone and contemplating. My most challenging moments is the constant reminder that I actually have a company, that I have a business that I have a lot of people that I'm responsible for mm -hmm. or, or two. I like what you said about if you weren't worried, you'd be worried. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think it's just a sense of really just trying to be the best that I can be. I just put high aspirations for myself. And, um, you know, we, we have a short time on this earth that we have a choice, you know, mm -hmm. we can do it the best possible way we can and, you know, take it all in learn from everything that we see and listen to and how can I build? You know, it's about taking a, a montage of stimulus and then formulating it in a way that works for me. Is there anything that you've learned in running a business and also being a creative person that would be helpful for other people to know? Do you have any words of wisdom for balancing your creativity with you know, having to deal with running your own thing? Well, you know, first of all, you got to learn by doing. And I think you have to be passionate about the work that you're doing first. If you would ever even take on running a business, you have to be passionate about what it is that, that you are creating. The running the business part is, is actually a lot of fun most of the time uh, because, you know, I look at that as a form of design too. And if you think about everything as being part of design, that's how I sell it to myself, is that there's always going to be a method and a way of approaching a problem. And it could be, you know, formulating a design or, you know, a new web campaign that we're doing or in sitting with my team and inspiring them how to approach this project or talking to a salesperson and say, you know, how do I essentially inspire them with my passion. And that's a form of creativity in and of itself. So I, I, I think that it's all holistic. You know, I, I look at it in a very holistic way. I don't compartmentalize my work from my pleasures. And design is a pleasure. 
I don't know if you guys have seen the new documentary on Dita Ross. Oh, not yet. I the Gary Hustwit film. Mm-hmm. It's yes, it's it's wonderful. So he has these ten principles of good design, and I think this can go to many different fields. There's a set of rules that that he goes by, and you know, after I saw this, and I you know I knew Dita Ross from my early 80s when I was studying design. But after seeing this film, um, you know, he's being brought back to the forefront. And there's these set of rules such as, you know, good design must be innovative. Good design must must be useful. Good design must be beautiful, must have an aesthetic. Good design must be understandable. Um, good design should be unobtrusive. It should be honest. It should be long-lasting. It turns out that I've been following these rules since my early days. Mm. To sort of see them sort of put on paper, spelled out for people to understand and be inspired by them. I, I just love the idea that there's rules out there. I, I, and there's, there should be a method. Everybody has a different approach. And, you know, some may argue with some certain parts of his principles. But I feel that they're, they're you know, that they're a set of of sort of goals that I can create for myself, that I can always come back and ask those questions. And of course, I can formulate a lot of my own. But that's that just makes me feel good to know that I can have that kind of a resource yeah, those available are to me. Excellent rules. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I highly recommend anyone who wants to uh, go see this documentary. It's probably playing in a theater right now somewhere. But it's 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 amazing. It's uh, it's called Roms, yeah. and it's uh, by Gary Hustwit, and he's also been a guest on Clever. So, oh, wonderful! Yes. So, with all of this in mind, Pablo, it sounds like work and life are kind of this beautiful, uncompartmentalized swirl. When you imagine your future, like way into the future, like seventy, seventy-five, when you're as old as Dieter Roms is in the movie. Mm. What do you think you'll be doing? What does your life look like? I look at some of the designer greats, the Italian greats, like Ettore Sozzas, uh, Alberto Meda, any number of these amazing designers who are well working into their 80s. They made a choice. You know, design was their passion. It is a way of life. It was not an occupation. And I, I look at that, and that's, that's me too. Mm. I'm the same. Um, I find that I'm going to be doing design for as long as I can continue creating. Uh, it may be slightly di- different capacity. Maybe I will not necessarily be doing it with my own firm. It Maybe my firm will be managed by other people. But I, I like that idea. I, I don't want to think about that I'm going to stop someday. It's, it's really more important for me to think I'm an optimist, you know? Mm-hmm. I have to be thinking that as long as I can continue doing what I love to do. Well, I like the idea of comparing you to a light source. It's like you don't really ever want to imagine turning it off and never turning it back on. It's like it's more, you're a vessel and it flows through you. And the minute it stops, then you're stopped. I like the way you put that. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that. So poetic, Amy. <laughs> yeah, I think I think there's a light that, that shines yeah. through all of us and we have to be able to tap into that light. I guess that's why I love lighting. It, it is, there's a mystery about it. The object is, is something that, you know, when you put the object out there, 
you know, it's a finite thing in a way. What what gets great about the object is you can build a relationship with it over time. Perhaps it'll patina over time. Perhaps, you know, it, it just transforms some, somehow over time. What will always be something you can't capture is why the light itself is so magical yeah. and remains magical. And there's there's no way to, to describe it, really, except I, I want to put the tools in people's hands to be able to control that light for themselves and manage that light for themselves. I appreciate that. I think one of the things that you're helping people control for themselves, too, is the power, to get more poetic, the power of illumination. I mean, anytime something is illuminated, you can see it better. You can understand it in a different way. You can gain a new perspective. And so by forming a, a really consistent, reliable relationship with the power of illumination, you're also sort of reinforcing your own ability to to gain a new perspective on something at any time. Absolutely. You know, I also speak of there's light and then there's the absence of light. So it's that contrast in between that I'm also very interested in. You walk into a restaurant and the, the most intimate Settings are those where you see pockets of light and pockets that there is no light. So there, there's space in between. You know, when we're designing, we're, we're always thinking about, you know, both both those coming together. It's, it's the absence as well. It's, it's light and shadow, essentially. Well, it's in good hands with you, Pablo. <laughs> Thank you. <Yeah. laughs> there's, there's, there's a lot of great design being done out there. And I think it's important that we just simply tap into the light as our source for ideas um, because it's often that we're not tapping into the light, but we're ta- tapping into a decorative object, for example, or we're tapping into just the material component, but not the this, this ephemeral, the result that comes from it, with it, what gets delivered by this vessel. And that's, that's what I'm interested in. I, I like that sort of fusion of those two. Yeah working together in harmony. Well, we wanted to ask you if you had a new project that you would like our listeners to know about. Sure. I mean, I can share a peek. Um, Yeah. So first, last year, we launched a number of new designs, about five collections in total, uh, which is a lot for us. Um, Mm -hmm. We spent a good part of this year rolling out a lot of sort of derivations from those. So that's a lot of what we've been spending time on this year. And this year, we're actually focused on, uh, there's a couple of exciting pieces. I can tell you a little bit about them. So we're, we're focused on, again, sort of this technology, how we bring in mobile devices into the equation, sort of a zone that becomes a personal space for dropping your personal belongings. You can also create uh, an area for a plant or two or three. And it is a zone that is your own personal space. So we're developing a really interesting, very um, modular system that it just introduces more utility, but at the same time, it becomes, wow, I, I, I never knew that a lamp could be all those things. It, but it makes sense to me as well. We're, we're delving into a lot of very interesting materials and introducing, you know, of course, traditional materials as well as soft landing spaces with fabric or leather 
And so we're excited about it. And this is kind of a new space that we're, we're delving into. And the other thing we're working on is a, a type of a tray that can drop onto many different types of bases, whether they're a table base of some type that you can drop this tray on, and the light source is actually coming out of the bottom of the tray, while the top is a place that you can put your devices for oh. charging. So it's, it's wireless charging, essentially, combining light and wireless charging and a number of different base solutions that can go on the table or on the floor or on the wall. And we're excited about that, too. So where can our listeners find you and keep track of all of this on the web and on social media? Yeah. So we are at pablodesigns.com. And you can find all of our contact and links uh, to our social media there as well. Perfect. Thank you so much, Pablo. This has been really illuminating. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity and, you know, perhaps sharing with your, you know, your audience um, what I'm passionate about. Your passion comes through. Yes, it's been awesome. So, you know what I thought was really funny about Pablo? What? And it's what you said at the toward the end was that he is literally like the epitome of what he's designing, where he is the vessel. Oh. <laughs> but he's also designing the vessel. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> I appreciate how thoughtful he is about all the different elements that go into his products, but also about the relationship that we have with light. I mean, it's just such a powerful relationship between humans and light, right? I mean, when he talked about the relationship between light and the absence of light, yeah, that was also really important because shining a light on things illuminates them, but it only has poetry in the absence of light. You don't want everything to be like a laboratory. Yeah, I know what you mean. Light is so interesting to me because it has such a huge effect on us as human beings our our mood our wellness you know how we perceive a space I mean if a room is dark it's scarier if it's a light it's not but if you're under fluorescent lights with no windows for a long time it's miserable I mean if you think about all these scenarios where you're affected just by the lighting Mm -hmm. um, and how important that is And so it is an important job, like what he's doing, creating these functional objects through which light can be emitted in different ways to to affect you and your surroundings. Mm -hmm. Well, and it sounds like he's also really looking at his products as ways to incorporate light into other functions as well, like this privacy screen plus light or the wireless charging plus light. Yeah, I think it's exciting for him to be in San Francisco because there is so much technology happening there. There's lots of offices as well. So I think it's a good place to start experimenting with what you can do with a light and how it can provide additional functionality. And what are the needs of, of people uh, besides just light? What what would they find useful? And And for years with incandescence, we've thought of light pretty specifically as a light fixture. And they come in a few shapes, a chandelier, a floor lamp, a table lamp. Now with LEDs, you know, a lamp can be a privacy screen. It doesn't have to be a lamp anymore. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah, lighting's an exciting category to keep an eye on. Things are changing and they're changing very quickly. 
I also love that he's a twin, first of all, and also that they both blurted out at the same exact time that they wanted to go into industrial <laughs> design and that three of the five kids are industrial designers. I mean, what are they drinking in their water? Like, get that dad <laughs> right. to like every household in america and like, i know get these kids designing he did so more fantastic. for indus- this generation of industrial design <laughs> like, <laughs> well i i really appreciate that the dad was a civil engineer and a classical guitarist that right brain left brain relationship probably in a household reinforced the value of both in a household where creativity is as important as the the left brain side, you know, the logic, really magical things can come from that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you get exposed. I mean, it's the best scenario, right? Because as a, as a child, you get exposed to, you know, an analytical mind and, and, you know, rational thought and logic and technical details. But then you're also exposed to creativity, which has boundless it's just boundless in general. Like, what can you do with this talent or how can you develop the, your creativity in, in your thought process? And then where the two meet right. is also that's, great. That's what I thought was, was so striking to me about our conversation with Pablo is he was so comfortable describing those moments that were unexplainable. He was so at peace with the idea that there is a lot that you can't control about the creative process or about how inspiration sort of finds its way to you and He's also a businessman. So that, by its very nature, makes businessmen uncomfortable because you can't schedule it and you can't predict it and you can't make it adhere to a set of, like, margins. But he seemed really at peace with both the unknowable, ineffable aspects of creativity as well as the really methodical, analytical aspects of it, like Mm -hmm. working it through the prototyping, laying out, you know milestones and figuring out what the market's interested in just the way he could sort of flip between both with such ease was really powerful i'm excited for the new products he was describing i'm excited to spot him in a car at a stoplight like gesturing (laughs) gesturing with his hands like those people who do like composing in their car or like air drumming he's like air designing yeah (laughs) hey thanks for listening To see images of Pablo's work and read the show notes, click the link in the details of this episode on your podcast app or go to cleverpodcast.com, where you can also sign up for our newsletter. You can subscribe to Clever on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you would please do us a favor and rate and review us, it really helps a lot. We promise. We also really love chatting with you on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Clever Podcast. Clever is created, produced, and hosted by us, Amy Devers and Jamie Derringer, also known as 2VDE Media, with editing by Jenny Josephson and music by L1011. Clever is proudly distributed by Design Milk. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.